Um, so I wrote an article about Joe Biden released yesterday. Uh, Joe Biden's do nothing presidency. Um, and you know, I'll pull it up for you all, but, um, I'm going to simply just summarize the points right now and then I'll pull it up. So what I mean by Joe Biden's do nothing presidency is look at the situation that we're in. And some have already took me to task on this because it's not like Joe Biden has implemented any policies. Sure, Joe Biden has responded to some of Trump's policies, uh, done some antitrust stuff. I think some people have been citing. But in the main, when we're looking at how the conditions of people really are right now, what the state of the United States is, both domestically and internationally, we really do see more of the same. And actually, what we are seeing is that Joe Biden's presidency has come amid what is this kind of slow rolling but ever intensifying crisis that kind of mirrors. It's like the 2007-2008 crisis with a pandemic on top of it, right? So you had this big economic crash during the Trump administration, and there really was no recovery, just like in 2007-2008. There has been this artificial recovery, right? Massive trillions of dollars pumped into the economy, pumped into the banks. Uh, very little, right? Very minor number amount of stimulus for certain protections for people that most of which have expired. And, and Joe Biden, right, has given less money than Donald Trump in terms of direct stimulus checks during a pandemic. Unemployment benefits have expired. There has been no student loan relief. And Joe Biden was very close to just ending his any ability to win in 2024 by releasing the delay in student loan payments. That has been extended until May, but that move alone, if that had gone through, I think would have ensured his defeat in 2024 if he is to run. It's, I think it's still up in the air as to whether he'll run. But then you have this Build Back Better agenda legislation debacle, right? It, it was a debacle, and it was ended by Joe Manchin, right? People are saying, oh, no, there'll be a vote eventually, maybe. But we've had so many months where this has not been voted on, where the infrastructure plan that was attached to it or not attached to it or whatever was literally just a gift to privatization, a gift to monopoly capital and Wall Street. And then you have this Build Back Better agenda, which has, I guess, a modicum of good things, Medicare expansion, child care and whatnot. But. That can't be passed because one so-called one guy, the rotating villain, Joe Manchin, the Republican of the Democrats, so to speak, he has blocked it just by uttering on Fox News that he won't vote for it. And that, that, I think that just shows the stagnation and paralysis of this current moment, which is literally driving the Biden administration into a crisis of legitimacy that I think is even more acute than Donald Trump in some ways, because while Trump's approval rating dipped big time toward the latter half of his administration, mainly because uh, there was that winter period last year where he was playing political games with Pelosi about the uh, additional stimulus. Still, Joe Biden's kind of on the same path, right? He's practicing herd immunity. He's not doing anything when it comes to COVID-19. Just vaccines. Go get your vaccine. Go get your booster. And that's it, right? Everything's open. There's no support for people. Uh, basically, 
COVID is here to stay and the government isn't going to do anything to help you. And I think that's causing a lot of anxiety in so many ways, psychological, economic, social, and it just shows how Biden's presidency is a do-nothing presidency, a do-nothing presidency for the people. And then on the other side, and I'm going to pull up the article right now, um, on the other side, you do have, um, you know, while we have very little to celebrate in that way, you do have this misremembering, right, of the of history again, kind of like in Don't Look Up, you have this misremembering history where you think that, okay, the New Deal will just come about because a, a, a New Deal 2.0 will just come about because the economic situation is so bad and people think a little more progressively now. That's just incorrect, right? That's just not how history works. That's not how politics works. That's not how class struggle works. How class struggle works is that you need a massive movement like we had in the 1920s, 30s, and 40s to force the ruling class to respond. And I say it all the time. U.S. capitalism isn't what it was in 1945, 6, 7, 8, right? It wasn't what it was during the 30 years crisis. It wasn't in any kind of embryonic form. It's, it wasn't at its highest stage yet. There was still a lot of competition internationally, both from the socialist bloc and from the capitalist bloc uh, and the fascist bloc. So there was a lot of competition and thus pressure to enact these kind of reforms. That doesn't really exist in this period, right? The United States is the hegemon, and it just so happens to be decaying and declining because the contradictions of capitalism have reached a dead end in so many ways, right? It has driven this race to the bottom, to the bottom for so many, and that has created a permanent crisis of overproduction or underconsumption, depending on how you look at it. And so that's why you have all this massive pumping of money into the economy. That's why you have the banks just going, running wild with debt and loans and, and that kind of thing. That's why you have so many people in debt. That's why you have a national debt. That's why you have all these kind of indications of decay. And that goes for the international situation, too, with the endless wars and how the U.S., they call them forever wars, but really they're unwinnable wars and they're wars that don't produce the intended effect. They, they produce destabilization. They produce chaos, which for the military industrial complex is great. But in terms of maintaining an empire and having a real hope for maximum profitability, it's questionable. It's dicey. And, and militarism is costly. And so you know, the cost benefit analysis isn't always great when it comes to endless wars, but they happen anyway, because it's the only policy, it's the only tool, it's the only mechanism at the disposal of the ruling class to get what it wants at this point. So, you know, I, I talk about how the results have been mixed in terms of this attempt by Joe Biden and the Democrats to kind of induce normalcy into the population, ideological normalcy, normalcy American exceptionalism, building back better, right? The results have been mixed in terms of subduing the population. We don't have a movement strong enough to challenge power, but we do have, you know, we had millions of workers quitting their jobs. We have hundreds of thousands of workers going on strike all across the country. And that kind of unrest, I think, was somewhat predicted by the ruling class in the sense that Biden tried to adopt the so-called New Deal agenda that he never intended to pass. And we need to understand that 
and it's it's so critical. And we also need to understand how Joe Biden has done a lot to just reinforce the normalcy of the system as it would always behave, right? As the system would always do, no matter who is president. And and Joe Biden has just merely escalated a lot of things that Donald Trump did in terms of immigration. We see the asylum policies, right? There was that debacle with Haiti uh, that's ongoing, you know, Haitian people being terrorized at the border. Uh, we have, you know, starvation sanctions, Russia, DPRK, even have Cambodia, right? Ethiopia, Joe Biden's adding on to the sanctions regime. And uh, we also have the largest military budget in U.S. history, right? In world history, really. So in conclusion, because I do have to wrap this up, but what this tells us is that the Democratic Party is the more effective evil of U.S. imperialism because unlike under Donald Trump, there really isn't a massive energy in opposition to Joe Biden. In fact, you have a lot of the squad, Bernie Sanders, and a lot of the burning wing of the party kind of trying to protect Joe Biden because they think that he'll give them what they want, even if it's just a little bit of what they want. That there isn't really any kind of expectations of this moment and there isn't any hope for as don't look up kind of expressed, there isn't any hope of masses of people rising up or being successful in that. Even these strikes, right? There wasn't much attention on them beyond, okay, we support them. Okay, we don't support them. But given the situation we're in, you would think that the progressive movement, quote unquote, AOC and all the people that follow them, these millions of folks that are energized and want to see more of this, you would think that they would try to place pressure on these corporations, place pressure on Joe Biden to enact real labor law legislation that would rectify the horrors of, let's say, the Taft-Hartley Act, which makes it almost impossible to organize a union because of the uh, possibility of a mandated election, which bosses tend to undermine at any cost and not to mention the elimination of solidarity strikes of the right to strike for so much of the workforce actually the entire unionized workforce really isn't allowed to strike because you're really only allowed to strike by law if your contract is up and so this does hamper you because that means for two three four years after you sign a contract you can't use the most powerful weapon at your disposal to get what you want and believe me i've been in many unions Bosses tend not to follow contracts. So in any event, the Democratic Party is in a real conundrum right now. It's in a real crisis because it has to pander to the worker-friendly, anti-racist identity that it's cultivated, which is wholly illegitimate and in contradistinction to its political behavior and its policies serving the elite. While the Republican Party doesn't have that problem, there's complete alignment with Republican Party ideology and Republican Party policy. So it doesn't have that problem. It has the problem of being a minority in so many respects in so many places and therefore relies on a lot of electoral sabotage, while the Democratic Party has its own kind of form of electoral sabotage in so many places, right? Um, That it really does need this high voter turnout and will do a lot of bad things to try to generate it in the direction that it wants, as we saw in 2016 with 
Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders. Right? I was here in New York City, and I know a lot of people in Brooklyn who said that the Democratic Party rigged that primary in order to give it to Hillary Clinton with the long wait times, et cetera. So anyway, this is what Biden's tenure is all about. He is benefiting from Obama's counterinsurgency war and how <clears throat> the fallout from this has allowed someone like Joe Biden to serve as this kind of neutralization arm of the ruling class of the mass movement and the Bernie wing of the party is paralyzed and doesn't really know what to do in this situation because it cre it has created such an antagonism between themselves and the Democratic Party that it wants to avoid. And most, at least most people in the Bernie wing want to avoid, especially the leadership. They want to avoid that because that's too difficult to address and it will literally sever them from the party. And, and we've learned that that's not what the Bernie wing wants. So Joe Biden's a placeholder presidency, all right? Everything has been rejected from the progressive movement by Joe Biden. He's not going to do anything that you want just because you voted for him. And this attempt to provide a steady dose of this ideological normalcy, this hegemony, the ruling class ideology amid this storm of crisis is really what he's all about. That's all he's really about. Whether he runs in 24, 2024 or not, there really isn't any other explanation as to what role he serves. So we need to start building a people's movement. We need to start building up soldiers of this movement dedicated to educating, agitating, and organizing in a way that helps spur these debates about the role of the Democratic Party. Because it's obvious that the leftish forces that Glenn Ford, uh, exec late executor of Black Agenda Report, talked so much about, it's clear that they are having a difficult time differentiating between loyalty to the Democratic Party and curiosity and socialism. And so it's really going to be about us forming a new political formation with the forces that already exist uh, to unite these struggles that were in the many struggles from freeing Julian Assange and political prisoners, from Medicare for all, from the struggle for uh, unions and you know, the struggle for peace and the struggle against white supremacy, racist policing, state repression, all of it. In order to unite these struggles, we need to have a political vehicle to do that. And so that's why I'm here to advocate for that, to really call for that, because without it, uh, we are uh, indeed without the compass that we need to to really address any of these issues, because they aren't, they aren't going to be addressed one by one. So. Any serious left movement that's trying to get out of the suffocating grip of the duopoly really has to consider this. And so that was the point of my article. That was, uh, that's also in Substack. So subscribe there if you want to continue to keep a pace with, with my writing. <clears throat> in any event,